Good evening. Welcome, everyone, to Element City Church. We are so delighted to have you here, especially if you happen to be new with us. Uh, we know it takes courage coming to a new place, and so we're thrilled. I already know I met a couple of brand new people, and so thanks for being here. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. We know connecting around here is kind of difficult and challenging, so we've done it uh, the easiest way we possibly can. We'd love for you to fill out our connection card, which you can do either by texting the word hello to our text number, 520 340-6868, or if you've already downloaded our free app, uh, which you can do, you can take us with you. We travel light. You can fill out the connection card on there. A couple quick texts, and we are connected. We'll walk with you. Just a promise we won't spam you. It'll be one text a week for the next few weeks just to kind of help you get connected. And the second possible way is to meet Lyle or myself back at the 10-minute party right back here. Uh, guess how long it lasts? Yeah, 10 minutes or less. Uh, so it's a 10-minute party. Uh, stick around for that. We'd love to hear your story a little bit. Well, you get the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for showing up to the 10-minute party. So we'd love to invite you to that. If you happen to have been around here for a long time and you've never tasted the popcorn, Sorry. Um, it's really only for guests. And so I guess if you want to bring a guest and steal some of their popcorn, you could do that. But uh, it is only for them, not for you. And uh, But tonight is a perfect night to be here because, anyone know what's happening after service? An ice cream social. We went old school, and we're doing ice cream social downstairs underneath the gym. And so it'll last about half an hour or so. So stick around for dessert. If you want to go to dinner, we usually have a group that goes to dinner afterwards. We're doing dessert tonight. I guess if you want to go to dinner afterwards, this is the way dinner should be, right? Dessert first, and then the real food. And so that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to worship a little bit. Uh, we're going to just enjoy continuing to lean into our Sermon on the Mount series as Lyle's going to lead us in that. Uh, but thrilled to have you here. Uh, in fact, if you're here in the room, if you're watching online, you can stand up if you want. If you're here in the room, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to launch into worship in just a second. We're going to pray for the Church of the Week. We do this every single Sunday. The reality is there's a million plus people in southern Arizona that aren't connected into any faith community, and uh, we can't reach them all. We believe in the church and the mission to reach people for Jesus, and we get to be a small slice of that. And so tonight, we're praying for Mission Church and Andy Littleton and John Simon, who are pastors there. I know Andy, and they do a great job, and we're just excited to pray for them on behalf of their church. And so let's pray for our evening and for Mission Church tonight. God, we gather tonight, um, all of us coming from different places all of us coming with a whole bunch of stuff going on in life. And tonight we purposely just hit pause to lean into your presence, to your truth, to your hope, to your grace, to your activity in our lives. We're asking for your spirit to move in our presence as we worship you, put our attention in your direction, as we lean into your word and look at your teaching, Jesus, that you have for us and how we are to live relationally one with another. Father, we pray your blessing over Mission Church and over Andy and over their staff, their team there. Would you continue to resource them, continue to leverage their impact and the reach that they have? God, we want to see the church do incredibly well to reach people where they're at, to minister to people's hearts, to spread and share your love and your grace and your truth in a way that meets people where they're at. And that's what we're praying for tonight. God, would you meet us, Holy Spirit? in a way that only you can do, that we will have ex experienced you tonight and that we be changed in the process. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
this truth together. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. So shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me.
we're so thankful is through Jesus, your son who died on the cross for everyone who is in this room and everyone who is outside of this room. So God, as we approach our friends and family and people that we know or we don't know, God, may we always remember, God, we cannot judge them, we cannot condemn them, Lord, but we can love them with the love of Jesus. And may we always remember that we also used to be a wretch, God, but you have saved us through your great grace and love that only you have for every one of us. Lord, teach us to be more like Jesus. May there be less of us every day and more of you as we grow in communion with the Holy Spirit, God. We ask that the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts tonight as Lyle speaks, God. We love you and we pray all these things in your beautiful and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, happy 4th of July weekend to everybody, everyone at home as well uh, who's tuning in. Um, hope that you all have had a great weekend so far. And uh, we've got a great country, don't we? Wonderful place where we have the freedoms. That's right. You can clap. That's okay. We've got a great country where we can gather together to worship and have the freedom to do so. Uh, and so it's a blessing. That's why we uh, also want to get together afterward and stuff our face with cream because that's what we do in America as well, uh, apparently. Uh, that's what I do. I'll just be honest. So, um, yeah, it's great to have Jack back as well. Uh, he had some time off. And as you can uh, all attest, I didn't blow anything up. So that's, I get to keep my job. I don't know if you knew that. Things were on the line. Whew, it was touch and go for a moment, but um, kidding. Uh, it's just, I'm grateful that he was able to get away and he was able to spend some time with our youth. We've got some of our youth in the service tonight uh, that were just at youth camp as well. There's life-changing experiences that happen there. I know God spoke to me in powerful ways when I went to youth camp when I was younger, so I'm excited for them to have been able to do that. So to start with tonight, uh, we are in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six, and we get to talk about our favorite topic, judgment. How exciting is that? Judgment according to Jesus. That's what I've entitled this message. Uh, and uh, really, the interesting thing is, um, this is actually one of the most quoted verses in the Bible that we're gonna look at tonight, but it's often the most misunderstood. Uh, and so have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever like intended to do something one way and someone took it totally the wrong way? Let me give you some examples from the musical world of times that that happened. Maybe you're familiar with Green Day, Billy Joe Armstrong, 1997. Green Day released the song, Time of Your Life, right? It's not the actual title. Good riddance, parentheses, Time of Your Life. And this song has been played at proms and graduations for over 20 years now. Uh, and the reality is, if you look at the lyrics and you look at the meaning of the song, we... we Think of it as this wonderful, you know, I hope you had the time of your life, right? Like this uplifting thing when it comes to your time in high school, your time in college. It's about a breakup. It's actually about his frustration with his girlfriend at the time who was getting ready to move to Ecuador. And he was just fed up with how like messy this breakup was. And so he wrote the words to that song, hence the title, Good Riddance. There you go. Another one. This, this one's kind of interesting. Who remembers the Macarena? Right, bonus points if you stand up and together we, no, I'm kidding, stay seated, all right? We, this is a Baptist church, you're not allowed to do dances in a Baptist church. 
Just kidding. I grew up Baptist. I get to make those jokes. So the Macarena, it's this upbeat party anthem with a memorable dance, right? Uh, the meaning is totally obscured by the fact that it's sung in Spanish. But the reality is the lyrics are uh, about a man who enlisted in the army and his girlfriend while he was gone enlisting in the army, doing something noble, cheats on him twice <laughs> with two of his friends. Great song, right? Real uplifting song as well. The Macarena, that's right. Or uh, one of my favorites here, Who Loves Imagine by John Lennon. Anytime there's just this big moment in the world, right? Thank God we've got all the celebrities who make their videos of them singing this song together because it's all about world peace. When Imagine, and really the song is actually... uh, It's a communist manifesto in lyrical form that John Lennon wrote because he knew that uh, people could swallow communist lyrics in songs if they were sugar-coated as opposed to him just saying what he really believed. Freedom, America, right? Great time to talk about that on 4th of July weekend. So, Imagine by John Lennon. mini communist manifesto of sorts. So it's, it's easy to be misunderstood. It's easy for us to have uh, something in mind that we intend to communicate, and yet somewhere along the way, wires can get crossed up, and uh, the translation, right, it gets lost in translation. So that's Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Again, this is one of, uh, according to a recent public poll, this is probably the most quoted verse in scripture. Why? Because we all say it, don't judge me, right? Judge not, you don't know me. Someone comes after us and right away it's like, but, you know, and right away we're like, judge not, lest ye be judged. So uh, the reality is this is also one of the most understood verses. And so tonight is going to be important so that we can get some clarity on what Jesus is saying, what Jesus really intends. Uh, And I think that this is especially important for us in this cultural moment. Um, When's the last time you saw a disagreement online? Like, 20 seconds ago probably, right? If you're right now uh, streaming at home, you're probably just like, yeah, there's a a battle going on in uh, this comment section over here. So we wanna get some clarity on what Jesus really means and what he's saying about uh, how we are to judge and what that entails for those of us who follow Jesus. When is the moment to to bring our judgment into a situation? When is the moment to withhold judgment in a situation? We're gonna look at all of that uh, together. But first, as I've been doing the last couple of weeks, and I just think it's important for us, uh, the repetition matters, okay? The reason I'm saying the same things over and over again is because I want you to know God's word. I want you to learn things about the Bible and I want you to remember things when you walk out of here that you're like, I didn't know that. Or, man, I'd forgotten that. Uh, and so we keep looking at the sermon structure uh, and why, because it's important for us to remember what's Jesus doing here in the Beatitudes? What's he doing in the Sermon on the Mount? Why did he intend to communicate the things that he intended to communicate then? Why did he talk about how to flourish? Why did he talk about being teleos, being a single-hearted, devoted follower of him? And so the structure of the sermon so far, there's the Beatitudes that it starts with, but then we looked at a couple things where Jesus is looking at how do we have greater righteousness than the Pharisees? And so he breaks it down for us. How do we have greater righteousness in regards to the law? That's what we looked at when we were in Matthew 5, 17 through 48. Uh, when we were in chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, it's how do we have greater righteousness in the way that we practice our faith? When we live out these words of Jesus and we try to follow after him, what does that look like? How can we do that uh, where we do it in the way that honors God as opposed to do it in a way that draws attention to ourselves? Uh, and then last week, uh, we kind of put it all together into one. We talked about anxiety, but really what it was about is how do we have greater righteousness in regards to our possessions, to our belongings, to our money, our wealth? 
And the fact of the matter is, when we try to serve two gods, that's what we looked at last week. When you try to pursue your wealth and your own comfort, what happens? It leads to this anxiety within us that only can be solved by bringing it to the Lord in prayer. And I think that that's an important thing that we didn't really uh, call back to too often yet. Uh, but if, if you notice, if you look at the Sermon on the Mountain, the way that Jesus divvies this sermon up, if you take the center of the center of the center of the Sermon on the Mount, do you know what you find? You find, they call it the Our Father. You find the Lord's Prayer. And so there's this fulcrum in the Sermon on the Mount, the center of the center of the center. So you've got the center of God's word, uh, of, of, of the, sorry, this, of uh, Jesus' words here in the sermon. But if you take like all of the sections and divvy it up, it's like the center section. If you take the words, the word count of the Sermon on the Mount, guess what's right in the middle? The Our Father. If you take the letters, break it down in the original language, and you take the letters of all of that, guess what's right in the middle? Fascinating. It's as if Jesus is hinging something on the fact that our prayer life matters. We're going to see that a little bit tonight as well because we need discernment. So over the next two weeks, we're in Matthew 7 uh, as we finish up the sermon uh, this month. And so uh, the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at how do we have greater righteousness in regards to our relationships. And so uh, tonight we'll be looking at how do we have that in relationships with each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we have it with those who are outside of our community? So again, it's particularly important in our cultural moment, so I hope that every one of you will get something from tonight. So without further ado, if you've got the Bible app, you can join along there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Uh, as always, I read from the ESV. We're going to have that up on the screen for you as well. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, again, a passage that uh, when you hear it, You've heard it, right? Like most of us have heard this before. Even if you've never really come to church all that much, you've probably heard words similar to this because this has made its way into our culture. And what this verse, uh, the section of verses really does is it creates two problems for us. Uh, and so I wanna look at those two problems as we kind of break this down. The first problem that we have is this. We have the problem of translation. The problem of translation. And I want you to picture for your mind, let's just say I've got my, my friend Jordan with me, okay? Jordan lives up in Phoenix, but Jordan's actually from Birmingham uh, in uh, the UK. So I think you say Birmingham, right, if you're supposed to say it right. So he's from Birmingham. So let's say Jordan's here. Jordan and I are hanging out, and we want to do something. And Jordan's like, hey, Mike, let's, uh, let's, go, play, uh, let's go play some football. And I'm just like, no, bro, I want to go play soccer. He's like, bro, that's stupid, all right? Let's go play football. I'm like, I don't want to play football. Let's play soccer. And it's just football, soccer, right? Sorry, football. Like if we're just arguing back and forth, why would that argument be ridiculous? It's the same thing. We're saying the same thing, but we just don't always realize it. And so when it comes to translation, uh, the reality is when we say football, we could be talking about American football where we throw a ball that we really don't attach to our foot hardly ever. But if you were around anybody else 
who's from anywhere else in the world other than, uh, I think Australia still calls it soccer, uh, they would be like, what are you talking, right? Like there's just, we, we know that there's football, but like which type of football are we talking about? Because in Australia, they've got Aussie rules football. They've got like soccer. There's so many different forms of football that you could be talking about. And so that's really what's going on here. In uh, the English, uh, previous uh, generations of English, this word judge, it still kind of retained its more general sense of to evaluate or to discern, to separate, decide. So Pennington, whose commentary we've been using a lot uh, in this sermon series, he said that the role of a judge is this, one who listens, who perceives and decides what is just. Notice it has the same root. And then dispensing justice, which again, the same root, namely it's favor, success, deliverance to the one who's in the right, and it's condemnation and guilt to the one who is in the wrong. So this discernment process is what it means to judge here. It's an unfortunate turn in current English that the main, if not exclusive thought that judge creates and hears is only the narrower, latter sense about the negative condemnation. This then distorts our sense of what justice is about. Justice is not just condemnation for the bad. Justice is this, I love this, it's restoration of what is right with its necessary good and bad consequences distributed accordingly. And so when we talk about judge, when Jesus is saying, judge not, lest you be judged, a lot of us hear that and immediately we take it to that last sense, that negative sense of condemnation. That's what he's saying. Don't condemn. But where we also take that is anytime someone's like, hey man, uh, that shirt, that color is not really good on you. Don't judge me, right? Okay, like look at me, look at this. Like if I were to show up in church and I'm wearing like highlighter yellow or even just like a pale tan shirt, you'd be like, gosh, your skin blends into that. That would be a bad choice, okay? I didn't discern well what shirt I chose to wear that night. And so I would hope you all love me enough as my brothers and sisters in Christ to be like, bro, next time, different color shirt, okay? When Jesus is saying judge not, he's not saying don't have discernment. Okay, and we're gonna see this later on when we get to verse six. But what Jesus is really saying here uh, is that uh, we can fall victim very easily to, have, uh, to this temptation to look down on each other for moral failures. And what that really is, it's a temptation to play God. And so Jesus isn't saying don't have high standards of behavior for people. In fact, we should have a high standard for each other and we should hold each other to that standard. Why? Because God is holy and he deserves that. He deserves us wanting to live a holy life to honor him with the way that we live. And so judge not is really discern not in relation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a very important distinction, okay? We cannot discern a person's motives. We can't do it. And so we should not condemn our fellow Christian by assuming the motivations that they hold in their hearts. Only God is wise enough to know what each of us holds in our hearts to the point where he can make an accurate judgment leading to condemnation. Does that make sense? So the warning here uh, is if we are particularly harsh in our condemnation of our fellow believer, then God will use the same measure of judgment for us when we stand before him. That should frighten us. For some of us, it's really easy to get nitpicky, isn't it? In fact, I know that there's been periods of my life where just there's tension, there's stress at work or whatever that may be going on. And so it's really easy for me to nitpick the things that I see in other people and I get frustrated with that and I start to hold them to this standard that is completely unreasonable because I don't even hold myself to that standard. 
And that's the fear here, is that when we find ourselves there, what Jesus is saying is when we stand before God, and we all will, that that measure of judgment that we're extending to others is the same measure that will be used toward us. In fact, uh, the Old Testament's kind of interesting as I was studying this. There's some poetic justice that you might see at times. Samson, what caused Samson to sin? Women, right? He had this lust for women. His eyes cost him to sin. So what happened to Samson when he received judgment? His eyes, gouged out, gone. That's pretty gross, first of all. Second of all, uh, this one was crazy that I didn't even realize. Absalom, David's son, okay? David's son actually kind of rebelled against his father. He wanted to take the kingdom from his dad, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history. And he wanted to usurp the throne. In fact, he had a period where he did. But when he lost power, how did Absalom die? If any of you, you're just ready for like, a wicked game of Bible trivia to break out sometime, you're welcome here. <laughs> he was hung by his hair, right? Absalom gloried in his hair, and the very thing that he gloried in was the way that he was killed. There's this idea of poetic justice that the measure that, that we use for others will be used for ourselves. The second problem that this sets up for us is this. So first one's translation. The second problem is totalization. Uh, so that's kind of a weird word, totalization. Basically what that means is uh, we take this one situation where, by the way, we're misdefining what the word really says, and then we apply it to every situation that could happen. So we make this totality transfer. That's where that to- totalization comes from. We, we transfer that into any and every situation. And so because we don't properly define what it is to judge and then apply that incorrect definition to any and every situation, uh, we now no longer hold each other responsible or even accountable for our sin. And perhaps the decline that we've seen in the Western church, the American church in particular, is because we've stepped away from holding each other accountable the way that God has deemed us necessary to do so. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, we could really break this whole passage apart, but Paul's addressing the Corinthian church, and if you know anything about the Corinthian church, that first letter is pretty brutal because it was a church that was mired. It was just deep with sexual sin. And in chapter five, he even calls out that there's stuff that even godless people wouldn't tolerate in their society, and yet that's happening in your church. And so at the end of this chapter, Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse 11, but it's a little harsh, so you're gonna see it in verses 12 and 13. It says this, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Wow. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil person from among you. Those are heavy-handed words from Paul there. And I'm not advocating that in 1 Corinthians, you know, uh, they, Paul was saying that if there was a person who was found in unrepentant sin in the church, that they would actually bring that person before the church and they would kind of hold the trial almost of this person. And that if this person was unrepentant, you would send them out from the community. I'm not advocating that we go back to that because uh, that, that brings a lot of shame, especially in our culture, it can. And yet, we're not trying to, we're not even publicly calling people out for sin, and yet we don't even privately pull someone aside when we know that they're in sin to try to help them with that. 
and to confront them with that and say, don't you think God has something better for you? Don't you think God wants something better for your life? That's what it's about. And so perhaps holiness is a struggle because we're not biblically confronting sin the way that we were meant to, uh, and we haven't done that for a while. And so Jesus says this, going back to Matthew 7, verse 3, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? And so in this passage, Jesus is drawing attention to a curious uh, kind of feature of the human race here in which a profound ignorance of oneself is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others, especially about their faults. That's what Leon Morris said in his commentary on Matthew. That profound ignorance of oneself, it's so often combined with an arrogant presumption of a knowledge about others. Is anybody in the room willing to admit they're guilty of that? Or am I the only one? It's so easy for us to do, isn't it? And so there's this tension. Once again, you'll notice that so often Jesus is creating tension for us in the Sermon on the Mount to show us our need for him. And so we need this self-awareness. We need to start praying. We need to, to dive in. And notice that's in uh, the Lord's Prayer, just this idea of repentance that we confess to God. And so as we confess to him and ask for forgiveness, what is that doing? It's helping us to see the plank that's in our own eyes here. And so what's funny about this whole passage, um, so Jesus, of course, was a carpenter. So Jesus being a carpenter, the, the language he's using here is very much carpenter language. So when he's talking about this log that would be in your eye, how many of you are familiar with like a load-bearing beam in a house? That's what you'd be talking about. And so Jesus is actually using hyperbole, and he's kind of funny, if, he, if, he's, if we're being honest, where it's like, can you imagine somebody who has a speck that's in their eye and somebody with a load-bearing beam just like, hey, bro, I'd love to help you get that speck out of your eye. Right? Like, how do we feel about somebody just like, huh? Because if we read this passage properly, which it's easy to not, okay, we've already established that, uh, but if we're reading this properly, uh, there's good intention in all of this. The desire to help your brother get the speck out of his eye, that's a good thing. It's not like this person's just coming across, you know, be like, hey, you, you know, I want to nitpick you to death here. It's not that. This is actually someone helpful, but they're just like, hey, bro, can't help but notice do you, need, do you need a hand with that? How ridiculous, right? It, it would almost be as if uh, you needed cataract surgery done and a blind eye surgeon was like, oh, I'd be happy to perform the surgery for you. <laughs> Can't happen, right? Like, hold on, let's, uh, let's take a step back and rethink that decision. So um, we need this self-awareness. We need to understand uh, that Jesus, Jesus alone can see enough to condemn, right? God alone can do that. But we, uh, as fellow believers, we need to help each other with our sin. But before that, we need to actually get honest to God with our own sin. We just need to start being honest about the ways that we've failed, the ways that we've offended a holy God. And sometimes it's little things, sometimes it's bigger things. The reality is we've all got it in our lives. We're human. That's our sinful nature. That's the struggle that we're gonna have for all of our life. And God knows that. And so um, we need to seek that level of discernment to say, God, would you reveal to me, have the heart of David in Psalm 139, to search my heart. If there's any grievous ways within me, reveal that to me so that I can confess that to God. Um, and so moving into verse four here, when he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, right? Like he's just continuing to call out this person who's just not self-call and just walking around with a beam from their face, right? Um, that's the picture. 
but here's the interesting thing. The, the thought in all this is, is for me this. Um, you don't get to choose who God sends to you to make you aware of the speck. It's really easy for us to see the log in other people's eyes when they have it, right? Like that's the picture Jesus is painting for us. And yet when we do have a speck in our eye, the reality is we still have a speck in our eye, okay? Verse five here, we're gonna see, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus wants the log out of your eye, Jesus wants the speck out of your eye. It doesn't matter the size of it. Jesus wants us to get that out of our eye. We don't need that. He wants us to see clearly so that we can follow him clearly. But we don't get to choose who God sends to us. How many times have you been guilty of that? Like me, right? Someone comes to you and they're just like, hey man, um, you know, you're <laughs> coming across a little arrogant with something. And uh, you know, when I was in college, that was actually, I had a really good friend, um, great friend, Nick. He was a golfer. And gosh, I wanted to be like Nick because he was good at golf. He got all the free stuff. Like I would go to Mikhail with him when he'd get his box. I mean, we're talking like a box. He'd get two of these guys and they'd just be full of polos and like storm suits and like all the U of A swag that he had to wear all the time. Uh, and so Nick and I were good friends. He just had this smile that he just, everybody, like he, it was the funniest thing. He'd, uh, He'd make some of the girls that were in the Baptist Student Union at the time, like he'd make them so mad because he'd be like, oh man, I forgot soap. Don't worry, I'll just ask one of these girls. And they're like, you're just gonna flash your smile again, aren't you? It's like, don't worry about it. And then he'd be like, hey, I forgot soap. Can I borrow it? And then just bing, you know that smile, like where you hear the bing, he had that. And so the girl's like, yes, of course. You can even have my phone number if you want soap as well as my number. Um, that was Nick. He's just, he was a great guy and I love Nick. Um, but there was a, kind of like a, this period where Nick didn't talk to me for a while. And I was like, what's going on? And I could kind of notice that there was just something there uh, but Nick pulled me aside finally. He's like, hey, let's go get some lunch today. Is that all right? And so we go, we're getting burritos um, over at what used to be Los Betos. And um, he's just like, hey, man, I'm just tired of being frustrated with you. I got to be honest. I was like, what? <laughs> this didn't go the way I thought it would. Um, he's like, I just, I love how I did this. He said, I've been really frustrated with you, but I'm realizing the reason that I'm so frustrated with you is because I'm actually frustrated with myself. And so I see some things in you that I know are in me. And I know that they've been rampant in me recently. And I've been working through that. Um, and I'm not doing a great job with that, but I also see it in you. And I love you too much to let you keep acting that way because I know how it's affecting me and I don't want it to affect you that way. That's love. That's a brother. That's a wonderful thing to have, a friend like that, who's, who's self-aware, who sees his own failures and his own flaws, but he also, he loves me, but he's not impressed with me. And so he's willing to tell me when he sees those same flaws in me too. And guess what? When you're, you know, young worship leader and you know that you can play guitar and you can sing and you can do all that stuff, yeah, I could come across as cocky at times. That's just the reality. Um, my personality is such that I can withdraw and people think that I think I'm better than they are. I'm just shy. That's it. And that shyness gets misinterpreted. And he knows that about me. And so he was able to call that out again, that that was happening. And I love Nick to this day. If I see a man, I'm just so excited to see him and give him a big hug and hear how life's going for him because I knew that that guy loved me. And so that's really the question is how do we remove the plank? How do we remove the plank or the speck regardless of what it is? Notice what Jesus is saying. We need community for that to happen. Yeah, we can be self-aware and we can get some help to pull the log out of our own eye. And if we're gonna get the help, where's it gonna come from? 
Wouldn't you rather that come from your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you, who aren't impressed with you, they want the best for you? And yet the reality is sometimes it doesn't come from them. Sometimes it comes from like just our absolute sworn enemy. But that doesn't mean they're wrong, does it? I would challenge every one of you, anytime someone comes to give you feedback, this was a commitment I had to make to myself. Anytime someone comes to give you feedback on something, doesn't matter who it is, remove the person, remove their character, remove the things they've done. Be committed to taking that information to the Lord in prayer and say, God, is there any of this in me? Is this true? And pray through that because here's what I know to be true and what you'll discover to be true. The Holy Spirit is really good at revealing truth. And so even if this is feedback that I don't wanna hear from someone I don't really care to hear it from, all truth is God's truth. And if he's speaking that into my life, I need to thank God for bringing it to me however he chooses to do that. And I need to be willing to receive that however he chooses to bring that to me. The reality is, the more often, uh, more often than not, when that feedback is coming from someone I don't want it to come from, it's because I've ignored somebody that I would have wanted it to come from. That's just reality. It's the reality. So we need each other, and we need to, to grow in, in our love for each other so that we can be bold enough to say, hey, I love you too much to let this keep happening in your life so that we can get rid of the, the logs that are in our eyes, so that we can get rid of the specks in our eyes. We want clear eyes. We want, uh, we talked about it last week, we want good lamps that let good light into our bodies so that we can be led the way that, that Jesus wants us to follow after him. And so when it comes to judgment in regards to brethren, that's really what it is. We don't condemn. We don't, um, we don't bring a judgment that's permanent to somebody. Because the reality is we know God's grace and we know how it works, that we're all works in progress. And so we never want to make a permanent condemnation of a fellow believer in Jesus Christ because that's not their future, okay? That's not what God is going to do in the future with their life, okay? We need to support each other. We need to help each other. We need to love each other so that together we can follow after Jesus the way he wants us to. Uh, but moving into chapter six, or sorry, verse six here, Matthew seven six, Jesus says this. It's a little bit of a transition, and this is really going to help us to see how do we interact with outsiders, those who aren't a part of the community, those who don't call themselves Christians, those who uh, aren't churchgoers. And so Jesus says this in Matthew chapter seven, verse six: Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What in the heck is Jesus saying here, right? Like all of a sudden we're talking carpentry and next thing you know we're talking livestock and it's like, what is going on here? Um, so there's kind of a chiastic structure. This is nerdy stuff, chiastic, I know. Um, it's a poetic form uh, where you'd have like line A and then line B and then line C and then line B and then line A, right? So it kind of makes, they'd, they'd always make like an arrow just so you kind of know. Um, so what's happening here is you've got a reference to dogs and then pigs and then uh, the pigs and then the dogs. So what Jesus is saying here is don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs lest the pigs trample them underfoot and the dogs turn to attack you. That's what Jesus is saying. And so while it seems kind of harsh language, this was actually a metaphor that was pretty common in that day that if Jesus was referring to somebody who was not part of Israel, the nation of Israel, he might call them dogs. He might call them pigs, um, especially pigs, right? You couldn't eat a pig. If you're a good Jew, uh, 
you would stay away from pigs. You wouldn't even have them on your farm. So Jesus is clearly making reference here to those who are outside of the community. He's saying, don't give to them what's holy. And so Leon Morris, again, commentator, uh, said this. He said, we must bear in mind, some hear the gospel only to rebel. Disciples are not called on to keep offering it to those who continue to reject it with vicious contempt. Jesus taught all sorts of people generously, but before Herod, he refused to say a word. Now, keep in mind, who was Herod? Herod's the one who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And so even Jesus, when he was arrested, when he stood before Herod, read it. He didn't say a word to Herod. He didn't engage him at all. Kind of fascinating. And so what we need to do is we need to grow in discernment. That's what Jesus is saying here. We need to grow in discernment uh, because we don't know who's the dog. We don't know who's the pig. In fact, I wouldn't recommend that you go around calling folks that, even if you identify them that way. Um, that's not wise, okay? That's not the way of Jesus anymore. Um, but we, we still need to recognize who are those who are open to the gospel and who are open to the things of Jesus and who are the people who are not. We need that discernment. And so just as I read, just we'll keep it simple. What's the easiest way to do that? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in evidence in that person's life? Do you see a love of the Father, of each other, of their fellow brethren? Uh, brethren? Do you see joy? Do you see peace? Do you see patience? Do you see kindness, gentleness, self-control in a person? If you see those things, engage that person if you see something that bothers you. If you see something that's kind of just rubbing you the wrong way. That's healthy. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what Jesus reiterates in Matthew 18 a passage where he talks about how we confront each other when we feel like we've been wronged. And so if we see the fruit of the Spirit evident in a person, engage. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, what do you do? You don't engage. Don't engage. The reality is there's a lot of um, chatter online right now. I don't know if you know this, but there's like a big Supreme Court decision recently that has led to a lot of division and there's even some who would call themselves Christians who are railing against what has happened. And I've seen probably some of you in this room engage online in ways that do not reflect the kingdom of God. And so we need to stop being keyboard warriors and we need to start, if, if we care about a person, we go to them face to face. We have conversations with people face to face. Anybody can hide behind a keyboard and type out a message. Anybody can do that because you're not face-to-face. -face. There are things that you will say and you will do, and you will become a person that you do not want to be if all that you do is communicate from behind a keyboard. But when you have to communicate with a person face-to-face, -face, it's different, isn't it? Always is. Why? Because that's the image of God in somebody in front of you that you're interacting with, and we need to uphold that. Sometimes the way that we uphold that is by withholding anything, Right? My mama said, if you can't say something nice, you just don't say something at all. Some of us would do really well to remember that lesson. Because when we do engage, we can't just pour napalm onto these comments and light it on fire and walk away because that's what a lot of us like to do. But when the world starts to see Christians as just people who wanna light everything on fire, that's ugly, that's disgusting, that's not who we wanna be, that's not carrying the message of Jesus the way that he intends us to carry that. And so these are important words for us uh, to remember. And so uh, just kinda as we finish up quickly here, uh, I said that we would do a less than five minute nerd out, um, so I promise less than five minutes. Um, the five 
have music, but I did not expect to have my heart stop when the music came on that loud. Whew. I hope someone brought a change of pants for the ice cream social. Love you too. It's all good. Um, so we're going to talk about the book of Jude. I know you were just excited to be like, oh, I can't wait to learn about the book of Jude tonight. So real quickly, Jude. Who's Jude? It was actually Jesus' brother, half-brother Jesus. Um, James was also a brother of Jesus, and so Jude identifies himself as a servant or slave of the Lord Jesus. So he doesn't even refer to his brotherhood with Jesus, but he does refer to his brotherhood with James. So we know that he's also a half-brother of Jesus. And so Jude wrote this letter. It's a very short letter. It's right towards the end of your New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. Um, Beautiful little book, just 25 verses. And so Jude's writing to a group of people, uh, most likely a group of Jewish Christians, and we know that because he, um, again, it's a nerd out, so you get to deal with it. Uh, He's mostly referencing the Hebrew scripture and quoting things in Hebrew as opposed to quoting the Septuagint, which the Septuagint was like the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, in case you didn't know that. So we're nerding out, I told you, right? Nerd hats are on. So this is Jude. brother of Jesus, he's writing to a, a church and he's, he's warning them of the Gnostics. He's warning them of people who believe that there's this secret knowledge that we all have to know and that if we know this knowledge, it's not just enough to have Jesus, we need the rest of that too. So as long as we have that, we're good. And so Jude is writing to the church to warn them. He loves these people and he wants to make sure that they're good. So this is what he says, Jude, uh, verse 17 through 23. There's no chapters in Jude. There's only one chapter, really, so that's why you don't quote the chapters. Again, we're still nerding out, so it's okay. Um, So if you ever see Jude 17 through 23, you're not reading chapter 17 through chapter 23. You're reading verse 7, right? Good? Same page? Sweet. Nerd out, done. All right, so Jude 17 through 23 says this, but you must remember, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Listen, church, there will be people who will come to you and they will say that because of your faith in Jesus Christ that you are looking to cause divisions in this world, okay? Jesus warned us it would be so. Jude is showing us that it is so, that we will be accused of that, but who's really causing the divisions? When we love the way that Jesus wanted us to love, those divisions don't come from us. That's fascinating. So it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Verse 20, but you, again, beloved, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And so Jude gives us real quickly here five things uh, on how we should live. And so we see those in verses 20 uh, through 23. Verse 20 gives us two of them. First, build yourselves up in the faith. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we get together to read God's word, to learn what it says and to understand it better, to build ourselves up in the faith. So one, build yourself up in faith. Two, Pray in the spirit. We talked about that. What's at the center of the center of the center of the Lord's prayer? Or sorry, I gave it away. The Sermon on the Mount. It's the Lord's prayer. See how that works out? Sweet. Pray in the spirit. Okay, Jesus is emphasized. 
in the Sermon on the Mount that prayer is important. Jude's emphasizing it once again, that we need to pray, not just heaping up words, but we need to pray in the Spirit, okay? We need to get in touch with the Holy Spirit and pray in the Spirit. Uh, And then verse 21 gives us two more. He says, keep yourselves in God's love. We have to remind ourselves constantly the love that God has for us. What does that do, though? Every time we remind ourselves the way that God loves us, that's what enables us to love others the way that we were always meant to. That's what 1 John tells us, that we love because he first loved us. So keep yourself in God's love. Four, wait for the ultimate mercy of Jesus' return. We've said this the last couple weeks. We need to live with heaven on the mind. Okay, set your mind on things that are above is the way Paul would say that in Colossians 3. So we wait for the ultimate mercy of Jesus' return, remembering that he will come back. And what does that mean? That means that we don't have to bring judgment or condemnation into anything because Jesus is the only one who is the righteous judge. The book of Revelation says that we will worship him because of the good judgments that he will pronounce. So we trust him with that. And lastly, this, show mercy in all situations. Show mercy in all situations. The way that Jesus finishes talking about the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember those two verses that he unpacks? He says uh, something about forgiveness. That if we don't forgive, that God will withhold his forgiveness from us. And so we need to forgive others. So forgive as you've been forgiven is what Jesus is saying. Show mercy the way that you've been shown mercy or shown mercy yourself. And there's a couple things Jude says at the end just to give us clarification. So save those who doubt. The reality is some uh, fall victim to false doctrines and teachings, okay? Those who do, we need to engage uh, the ones who have the fruit of the Spirit in evidence in their lives. We engage them to lovingly bring them back in line with God's word. We show them mercy. We don't hit them on the hand and be like, you're dumb. Why did you do that? Listen, we all do dumb things, okay? Like that's just the reality, of the situation, we're not always at our best. That's why we need each other. Because when we're not at our best, we need our brothers and sisters to come along to help us get back there. But then that last part, he says this, show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by sin. And so what he means here is that uh, for those who don't have the fruit of the spirit in their lives, for those who have turned over to their sin and God has turned them over to that, we don't engage, but we still always show them mercy. We are always ready and willing to open our arms to welcome those folks back. We always show kindness uh, to, to people who are struggling with doubt, with angry doubt, even when there is no fruit visible. Why? That's the way of Jesus. That's the way Jesus loved you. That's the way he loved me. That even when my heart was hard, Jesus still loved me. He was still patient with me. And we needed to do the same for others. Uh, I love this quote from Craig Rochelle. I remember reading this and seeing when he first tweeted it when the book came out. Um, and he said this, it's tempting to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. It's tempting to judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. But what would Element City Church look like if we were a group of believers who reversed that? That rather than judging people immediately by their actions, we took the time to listen to their intentions. Rather than judging ourselves by just our intentions, well, I meant to do this, but we we actually looked at our actions. We looked at how our actions affected somebody and we were willing to own that. What could our church look like if we were a group of people who lovingly held each other accountable, 
that we didn't get defensive when somebody approached us, but we recognized the love that we have for each other and that out of that love, we want the best for each other because we want the best for Jesus because the world needs to see the best side of Jesus right now, don't they? And he has called you, he has called me to be the ones who get to present the beauty of his gospel, the beauty of his love, the beauty of his mercy to everyone. Let's be a church like that, amen? Let's pray. God, we wanna thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that uh, you were patient with us, that you did show mercy to us, and you showed that mercy to us in abundance, that even when we were still sinners, your word tells us that Christ died for us. And so you lovingly waited for us and, and we gave our lives to you. You welcomed us into your kingdom and you've shown us how you want us to live. You're telling us through this series how you want us to live. And so as we look at what it means to judge, that we withhold condemnation from our fellow believers, we withhold condemnation in general. We're not the ones who know how to do that rightly. But we need to love each other well. And when those who are outside of the community uh, come at us angrily, when there's no fruit there, God, you don't want us to engage. You just want us to continue to extend love and mercy to them. So God, help us to be a community where we can assume positive intent in all situations. That we can assume that others want what's best for us. And that when we go to others, that we know that they're gonna assume that we want what's best for them. Man, what, would, what could that look like, God, in this day and age, if we could be a church uh, like that? So God, thanks for the work that you're doing uh, in our church, in our hearts, through this series as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, Jesus, that, uh, man, that you want what's best for us. You want what's best for us. And so that's uh, what we want to, God. We want to live in your best. We want to flourish the way that you want us to. So uh, allow just one point from tonight, whatever it may be, God, allow that to sink in to each person who's in this room. Continue to speak to us tonight, Lord. As we continue to worship in song, we pray it all in your name. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us tonight. Uh, if you're new here, we've got the 10-minute party that's going to be going on in the back. Uh, and as soon as that's done, I'd uh, love to invite every single one of you, if you want to make your way through the, the side doors here, uh, you can head into the gym, head downstairs. In the downstairs room there, we've got a whole bunch of ice cream set up. Uh, I may or may not have described this as my love letter to the church, okay? There is so much down there that uh, I won't waste your time. You, there's a lot of uh, options, we'll put it that way. So uh, we're going to have that ice cream social right after church. Uh, as well. So please join us for that. I uh, want to make sure that you are all aware of the food distributions that we do here. That's coming up the, every second Saturday of the month. We give them out here in the parking lot. So we'll be here Saturday morning at 8 a.m. to give those out. We're also going to be meeting Friday morning at Caring Ministries to pack those boxes. So please, if you've got time to join us either of those days, we'd love for you to do that. You can get the information about that inside the Element City Church app. If you tap the events tab, you'll see that down there. Uh, also Saturday, uh, Saturday night, we've got the uh, family zoo night that's going on. So they're going to be uh, uh, families, you know, parents with your kids. Uh, this is one of our e-kids events. Uh, or even if you just love animals and you want to go hang out with people from church, uh, meet down at the, the sign outside of the zoo at 530. Uh, so there's no like real organized anything. Just meet there at the sign and then everyone's going to get together and go through that uh, with each other. So uh, dinner tonight as well, since we're doing the ice cream, uh, some folks are going to get some hot dogs from across the way uh, at the, the stand there uh, when all's said and done with the ice cream social. So uh, feel free to meet over there. And rumor is the first hundred dollars of hot dogs has been covered. So there you go. Incentive to go incentive to go. So just want to read this benediction over us because we just read the book of Jude, uh, kind of the closing stuff there. And the way that this book ends is beautiful. So we stopped in verse 23. The last two verses say this, and this is my prayer for you this week, my prayer over you this week. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go with God, friends. Let's eat some ice cream. Let's have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs>